You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and here we are again wow. on Sunday afternoon with Q&A with Samuel. How are you, Samuel? I am well. With all the clapping and the chirping, it's a lot of fun to start. It's just, when it starts, I can't hold myself uh, without j- just chuckling. It's great. Yeah, it is a good sound effect, isn't it? We, we love it, and it just gets everybody's attention. It does. So that's a, that's a good thing. Now, Samuel. Yes. We are going to do a bit of a series on um, something that everybody's talking about at the moment. Yes. Um, and that is the second coming. But in particular, um, there are a number number of uh, interpretations of how that all, is all going to happen yep. um, around particularly the rapture. And uh, is it post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, <laughs> beginning of the tribulation? Yeah. When is it? And uh, I know that you have some very strong opinions, or you have done a lot of research in this area, and yeah. and and you believe that um, you know people need to know so that they can be prepared properly. So that's the question that we're dealing with: What yes. is the rapture theology, and what is it that we should expect as we're waiting for Jesus' return? Yeah, um, very good. As you started there, I'm like, uh, do I have opinions? I think our opinions won't really matter. What matter is. Uh, our analysis of scripture and so if the opinion is built on a proper careful analysis of scripture then uh, then that opinion is justified it's not just simply uh, interesting and anyone can have an opinion i mean it's just going to be a, a question of what it's built on what exactly and in this question question here it's a question of uh christian theology um it's not that i'm really been talking about rupture per, per, per se even though that's the question i think sometimes the question is asked but it's got a lot of broader contours to it so you know it's not just simply a person asks the question it, this question fits into a broader question of christian theology and so we cannot answer that question without looking at all the broader contour of the theology within which the question has been asked so um the question has been asked here, you know, rapture, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, um, you know, when it, when it, when is it the second coming of the Lord happening and how is it happening? And so that's the question. The question here is centered on the second coming. You know, you can't talk about yeah. rapture if it was not the Lord is coming back. And so yeah. the question is the question of what is called the doctrine of last things. The doctrine mm-hmm. of last things. It's, uh, it's, uh, the, you know, one of the major doctrine uh, of the Christian uh, faith. And so we'd like to uh, start by grabbing a few biblical texts, and uh, then we'll look at some terminologies that uh, that are used within those particular texts, and then we start to analyze the interpretation of those texts. And so that, that's probably the, the best way to go. And so let's get started by, uh, you know, uh, you're looking at the text that we've got to read. We've got to read the number of texts, but Let's start with the first one, which I think this is the most important. Um, uh, it's I'm going from Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, and this is uh, you know it's classically or traditionally called the Olivet Discourse. Olivet Discourse. Uh, why? Because of where this particular discourse is happening. And so, if you've got your Bible, everyone, you just grab your Bible. We turn to Mark chapter 13. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way to verse uh, 28. It's quite a long read, but, you know, out of respect for God's word, uh, before we formulate any opinion about anything, we need to read what is written within the scripture. So I'm going to read. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, If everybody's got their Bible, they can basically grab it and let's read. 
As he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent building. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, Not one stone here will left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olive opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of, uh, the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged into synagogues. And on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother and uh, to death, and father is child. Children will re re rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see, verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, Standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his clock. How dreadful it will be in, the, in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now, and never be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At the time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is a Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days... Following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will no longer give, give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds 
with great power and glory. And he will send his angel and gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the earth to the end of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So that's our first mm. text right there. Um, yeah. as, as you can see, uh, very, very descriptive uh, as the Lord uh, gives this Olivet Discourse. Now, the second text I'm going to ask us to turn to uh, is in the book of uh, Paul's correspondence to the Thessalonian. So, first correspondence of Paul to the Thessalonian, which means Thessalonian 1 or 1 Thessalonian. Uh, it's chapter 4 we're going to read, and we will read from verse uh, 13 all the way to chapter 5, verse 8. So it's a, it's a little quick quick read, and then we will come back to start analyzing this text. So I'm going to read uh, very quickly there. Uh, he, here's Apostle Paul's warning uh, about the coming of the Lord to the Thessalonians. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we do, we who are still alive or are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left with, are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with those words. Uh, that's just all the way to the end of four, and then we will surely read the continuing text uh, in a bit, because it's a long reading, and we need to, to be uh, very uh, very mindful of that. That, that. Does that make sense, Alida? Yeah, no, that is that is fine. We'll um, we'll come back after a uh, listening to a, a song, and uh, we'll have a listen to the rest of that text, and then you can open it up for us.
FM and we're discussing the the theology and, and what the Bible teaches around the rapture. And Samuel, you were um, you'd read from Mark and now we're in Thessalonians, one Thessalonians. We started at chapter four at verse thirteen to the end. Yep. And we're now in one Thessalonians five and you're going to start reading from verses one to eight and continue on with what we were discussing a little earlier. Yes indeed, uh, Alida we so we, we will start from verse 1 of uh, chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation is a helmet. And so you'll notice uh, something quite interesting through the text we've read, that here Paul, Apostle Paul, is echoing the word of Jesus in the text of Mark that we've just read, right? You'll notice yeah. from the very beginning he said, well, look, I'm telling you this from the word of the Lord. Uh, himself, so uh, so that we know that Apostle Paul here 
is uh, verse 15 tells us according to the lord's own words we tell you that we who are still alive who are left in the coming of the lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep so is echoing here the word of the lord himself now before i can i can uh, proceed from there because it's just going to be a matter of hermeneutical tools and uh, how people look at this text I'd like to sort of pull up some uh, some terminologies that may be helpful uh, as we look at this particular text. And so let's look at a few terminologies. Uh, number one, I want to look at the word apocalypsis, uh, which is uh, which we translate revelation, the revelation of the Lord. Uh, so, I mean, everybody knows the word apocalypse, apocalypsis, that's the Greek word for it. And so you can find this particular word, apocalypsis, uh, in, if you read the Greek, that's good. But otherwise, in your English Bible, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 17, uh, the word apocalypsis is used. So let's read that. Uh, it'll be very helpful. So Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, uh, which I'm going to read. It's always good to... To read a bit in the text before and after. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to those who are troubled. And to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. In a blazing fire. With his powerful angels. So when he's revealed. Apocalypsis is the, the word reveal. Revelation. So the disclosing of something, that's what the word apocalypsis means. So you'll find out that in the doctrine of last thing, uh, words like apocalypsis um, is uh, very, very often used, the revealing of the Lord. Now, the second word I want to look at uh, is the word epiphania. Epiphania is the, the is this word is often translated in English, the appearance, at the appearance of the Lord. That's exactly also a word used to denote uh, Jesus' second coming. You can go to uh, uh, chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians and from in verse 8, uh, you can you'll get you'll get the, the use of the word epiphania there. So I'm going to turn So to, how do you spell how do you spell that, Samuel? Epiphania is is spelled E P I P H A N E I A. Epiphania. Okay. Now, you know how to spell, uh, I don't know if our listeners know how to spell apocalypses. Uh, if that's important, I, I can, I mean, everybody knows how to spell apocalypse, but the Greek word is A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S, apocalypses. Now, let's read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. And so it's good to read a bit the verses uh, before. Um, let, me, let, me, let me start from verse 5. Do you not, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed, apocalypses, at the proper time, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Verse 8, and then the lawless, the lawless one, will be revealed, epiphania, <clears throat> pardon me, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So the word uh, revealed there uh, is epiphania. Now, the last word I would like um, our listeners to 
uh, to remember as we discuss these things is the word of parousia. Parousia is spelled P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, parousia, often translated the coming, the word coming, or the presence of Christ, um, or his appearing, or his becoming. And that is the way the word parousia is uh, translated. Now, if you look at um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and then back to the verse that we just read, concerning the coming of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered uh, to him, we ask you, brothers, you see, concerning the coming of the Lord, concerning the parousia of the Lord, or the Lord will destroy with the breath of his mouth at his coming, parousia. So you've got epiphania, uh, you've got uh, apocalypse and parousia. Those are the main uh, terms. Now I'm going to uh, just quickly, based on we are, uh, you know, uh, you know, in time, I'm going to start looking at the uh, just general few uh, hermeneutical, um, you know, points that make the difference between the interpretation of this particular text. Now, there are three, uh, three interpretation of this particular text, and I want people to write it down. There is the classical. Christian interpretation of that the interpretation of the church has held since the day of the apostles, uh, which is a classical view of the Christian faith, and there is the rapture view, uh, which uh, is not um, that uh, classical. It's not uh, the rapture view. Actually, is quite recent uh, compared to the age of the church. Uh, the church has been here for 2,000 years, and the rapture view was developed in 1827 by John Darby. John Darby, sometimes it's called Darbyism. Uh, it was developed by John Darby uh, through his interpretation of these scriptures. It was not the position that was held by the church uh, from the very beginning for 1,800 years. For 1,800 years, the church didn't have that view. Uh, you'll find this part of sort of a, a view from so jo- John Darby didn't just simply pull it out of thin air. I'll talk about that in a moment. But you'll find that, that few attempts to interpret things that way did exist, I think from the 1500. And so John Darby is the one who actually made the uh, this particular view a lot more um, a lot more uh, comprehensive. And so and there is another view that is called preterism. Preterism is also another view. It's not as, as old. It's also around about the same time as diabetism. Uh, preterism is actually held by, you know, very prominent people like N.T. Uh, um, Wright. N.T. Uh, Wright is a biblical scholar, uh, very well-respected uh, Bible scholar, and is um, uh, from the uh, Church of England. And so you've got a classical Christian interpretation of this text, and then you've got the Darbyism or rapture view, and you've got uh, you know preterism. So we'll look at these uh, three uh, interpretation of this particular text. Now, what is interesting about I'll get back to the classical view uh, first, and I'll try to differentiate the classical view to these two other views: rapture, rapture uh, view, and the uh, the uh, you know preterism view. Now, but let me say a few words about the rapture view. The rapture view, as I said, was developed by John Darby in 1827. Uh, and this view here 
has become exceedingly influential, especially in evangelical churches. And because, uh, you, you know, Pentecostal churches are an offshoot of Protestant churches. Uh, and so you can imagine why it is very prevalent among uh, Pentecostals as well. And this particular view was made mostly famous by the uh, Schofield Reference Bible. Now, the Schofield, when I, when I gave my life, to, uh, you know, when I started, no, when, not when I gave my life to Christ, but when I started working in the ministry, uh, the Schofield Bible, uh, you know, Reference Bible was the must-have Bible. If you don't have the Schofield, it's like you're not a preacher. So, and the Schofield uh, uh, Reference Bible had endorsed uh, this this particular view, and so it's made it very popular. And the other thing is, there's the Dallas Theological Seminary had endorsed this view, and the Dallas uh, is one of uh, is uh, one of the flagship of the evangelical uh, seminaries, and you know most, all, if not all, the pastors that Dallas Theological Seminary has put out, of course, hold this view. So this view is very popular, and then it got even more popularized in the culture by writings of people like Tim LaHaye, uh, you know, people who yeah. have, it's been yeah. made we all know the Left Behind series left and everything else. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. So some of us have actually taken the rapture view basically from birth. You know, you get, you don't know that many people I've spoken with don't even know what is the classical view of the Christian church before 1827. Hmm. So the rapture view is really the most popular. But, you know, it's, the analysis shouldn't be by what is most, most popular, most believed. It's what is mostly scriptural. So we will have to dive in uh, to look at these, these, these views, and then we can analyze the biblical basis uh, upon which these views are held. So that's what we will need. Yep. Yeah, no, that'll be great. All right. Well, we're, we're very excited about going to that next level and, uh, and diving in, as you say. So we'll be back in a few minutes after this song on 105.1 Life FM.
105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And today, uh, Samuel, uh, you're talking about the the number of um, views around the end times. We're looking at the the end times. And you actually used a, um, a term called praetorism. Yes. Um, and we were, we were talking about that uh, off air just to clarify who the person was that, um, that put that particular view forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was talking about uh, Nicholas Thomas Wright, N.T. Wright. It's like he's basically often called N.T. Wright, and um, so he was the uh, Bishop of Durham uh, between 2003 and 2010. He's actually got his own line because he's one of the most respected uh, New Testament scholar, uh, Nicholas Thomas Wright, Wright. Wright being written with W W R I G H T. G H T. Yeah, yes. so people can actually look him up and, uh, yeah, and yeah, see yeah, yeah. what, what is, yeah. I've read N.T. Wright quite a bit. Uh, he's a really a tremendous scholar, uh, somebody really well respected. But he, he believes in preterism. Preterism um, is the, so he's a proponent, he's the most prominent proponent of, of preterism at the moment. And uh, preterism, uh, you know, comes from the term, the Latin term, prater, uh, prater, which is P-R-A-E-T-R, which is a prefix denoting that something is already past or is beyond. Uh, so uh, I, I will explain what preterism is, but at least I want to say that historically, preterism, all the preterists and non-preterists uh, agree generally that uh, it was the first uh, writing, systemic, systematic writing on preterism was written by a, a Jesuit priest, Louis de Alcazar, uh, who uh, li- you know vi- lived from 1554 to 1613? So it's a, as I was saying, it's uh, for 1500 years the church had this classical view, view, and then they started to develop you know preterism, and then they developed uh, you know adabism, which is called rapture view, and so these these two views are very recent compared to the classical view of the Christian church that the church has held for a long time. Now, I'm thinking that it's probably because rapture is the most popular and is the one that we need to start looking at. Um, I want to highlight a few things that we know from an enormous point of view that uh, Mark uh, is written uh, as part of the, you know, biographies, if you will, the account uh, of uh, of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are uh, the gospel writers. And and so we know from that standpoint that Mark was rendering that which he had learned, um, uh, at least most scholars agree, that this could have been very well called the gospel of 
Peter because Mark was a disciple of Peter. And but there are a number of views to when it was written and so on and so forth. I'm not going to get into the the, you know, the timing, but the authorship at least traditionally is recognized to be Mark. And the words that we've read there in the Olivet Discourse are recognized to be words of the Lord himself that uh, the, the, the apostles had rendered. So uh, in that sense, you can notice that these words of the Lord must be the basis upon which anything else is analyzed from. So that's the classical approach. So you start from the Olivet Discourse. Uh, you don't so assume that the apostles after Christ had somehow added their own teachings um, that uh, were not already pre-recorded or at least highlighted within the Gospels. And this is how the classicists uh, approach this particular text. So you read the Olivet Discourse and you analyze all the rest of the words of the apostles according to the Olivet Discourse. So I wanted to look at the Olivet Discourse again uh, because the rapture view uh, plugs into uh, the text. Uh, I don't want to say plugs in, read something into the text. It may be that that was in the saying of the Lord. And if the, what is being uh, said in, in the rapture view, if it is not found in the words of the Lord, one therefore need to make the case where exactly do they find that particular meaning that uh, the church from the outset did not hold? So let's go back and read again, because everybody want to remember that this is a serious text, a serious topic, and you don't want to be rushing into it. And everybody knows how I go about these things. So I want to be scriptural, and so we don't want to be sort of jumping quickly into the conclusion and leaving a bunch of holes in there that then people can say, well, that's just his opinion. So let's let's... Go back and read uh, Mark 13 again, but I want to read uh, some particular text that we're going to be analyzing um, to see whether, because the, the, the whole idea of the rapture view, uh, let me just say, plug it in here so that everybody knows, the rapture view uh, in a nutshell goes like this. It goes that, you know, the Lord will come um, and he will uh, take, or he will, the, he will, at the sound of the trumpet, uh, the elects, okay, the the believers will be taken up into the air, and they will escape the tribulation that is to come, and so they will be taken up into the air to be with the Lord while the tribulation is happening, and then then the Lord will, and then the lawlessness, the men of lawlessness will be revealed after the church is already gone, you know that's why left behind or you know taken up. Uh, is sort of a catchphrase. And so mm. the church is taken up. Uh, so the church escaped the tribulation. And um, and then when the Antichrist, the, the man of lawlessness, as the Apostle Paul calls him, uh, arises, and when the Lord comes uh, back, uh, he then destroys the man of lawlessness uh, with the breath of his mouth. So whether you, whatever way you look at it, it seems like what, the Lord is not here now. It means the Lord will come twice. Uh, the first time uh, is to snatch the elects, to make them escape the tribulation. And then the second yeah. time, so there's going to be two second coming. Uh, so that's the, the, the rapture view posits two second coming. The first one, to snatch up the elect. And the second yeah. one, to come and destroy the Antichrist and establish his kingdom. 
Um, so that's that's the uh, the rapture view, and the preterist view uh, does the same. The preterist view assumes that the second coming had already happened. Uh, it happened when uh, it happened at the destruction of the temple in seventy A.D. You know the ransacking of Jerusalem uh, because that was included in the prophecy. So uh, that was included in the prophecy when they looked at the temple and said, no, "Look at all this. No stone will remain upon." A stone here without being unturned. So, yeah. preterists say that, you know, prater, which means that second coming had already happened, but they say their views, uh, we'll analyze it if, if, if we get the time as we go through the series, that the, it was the time when Christ was enthroned in heaven. That's the first, the second, the first second coming, first second coming. And then the second second coming will then come at the end of the age when the Lord comes. So they don't believe that the church will be snatched out of the tribulation. The preterists don't believe that. And so this okay. classical, uh, the traditional view that the church had held till the 1500 uh, was, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that the church abandoned that. There are simply all these other views. And the classical view has not been as popularized as the others have been so far. Now, the classical view says that there's only one coming. There's only mm-hmm. one coming, and uh, the Lord will come. There's not going to be no escape uh, of the elects, um, you know, being taken up in the air uh, by the Lord to escape the tribulation. So um, that's that's the that's the view that the church had held classically. Now back to Mark, and let's read uh, some text. We're going to read uh, verse 19 and 20, and then we're going to read verse 24 to 27. And let's, let's read those texts together. It, it will be helpful. So I'm going to read verse 19 to verse 20 uh, of Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse. Um, now, let's read from verse 18. It's better. Pray that this will not take place in winter, Jesus said, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. And never to be equaled again. Verse 20. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. The first thing you notice here, Jesus isn't saying that some elects will be gone and some will be left. It's just you can't read it into the text. All he tells us right here is that the elect will be into that tribulation, into that time of distress. In fact, it is because of them that the Lord is shortening the distress. There's been yeah. no distress like this before, and there will be no distress like this after. And the Lord is shortening it because of his elect, the one he has actually chosen. Okay? Let's just hold that thought there. So it tells you from within the text that the elect will be inside this distress, and because of them, the Lord is shortening. I'll, I'll show you the, how those who are you know, reading rapture uh, can sort of find a way out of this particular text, and then we will discuss that as we go through the series. So everybody, these are introductory notes, and we need to be patient. Let's read uh, the next uh, t- verse. is 24 to 27. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heaven Heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with great power and glory. And he will send his angels 
and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now, you can see that the gathering of the elects from the four winds, the gathering of the elects shall be when the Son of Man come in the cloud with great power. He comes mm. in the cloud with great power. So we don't have within the Olivet Discourse uh, any escape for the elects yet. So just we, we take that thought, take that thought, and we, we come back. All right. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, um, there is certainly a, a popular view, and um, it'll be interesting just to be able to expand a little bit more and, and let people see what the view, what the Bible, in fact, talks about. So we'll come back after this song, and uh, we'll have a little bit more to say about the end times. One day, Jesus is coming. You may be at church. You may be at work. You may be asleep. God grant that you will be ready when he makes his personal appearance. My God, what if his appearance occurs on a Sunday morning? My prophetic word to you this morning is get ready, get ready! Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai pana v'lecha v'yichuneka Yisa Adonai pana v'lecha v'yasem lecha shalom The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace
came as a man The first time he came as a lamb To live and die and rise up from a grave The second time he'll come as a king The second time he'll come to reign And every knee will bow at his name oh, Next time will be the last time So keep your eyes on the eastern sky He's coming listening to 105.1 Life FM Bendigo's Positive Choice and you're with Alita Robinson and Samuel Chisichetti and we're talking about the end times and Samuel you went back to um, Mark chapter 13 and to Jesus's own words as to what was going to happen yes. in the end times and you talked about um, how the, the time at the end is shortened uh, for the sake of the elect yes. which um, indicates to you that uh, Jesus was not talking about a second coming that was happening twice, but really about just the one when he would be coming back. Yes. Now, um, so, you know, you, you've highlighted it really well there. Now, one may say, one may say, uh, hang on a minute, Samuel, those elects, according to the rapture view, those elects that Jesus is talking about here are the elects that will be left behind. Okay. They will be left behind to suffer the tribulation. And then uh, it is those elects that it will then, when it comes to the second time, you know, his angel is going to gather them. But those people will have suffered uh, the tribulation that the others have escaped uh, because of rapture. Now, it's okay to say that. But you notice that hermeneutically you're plugging it in. It's not there. You're, there is no way anybody just classically reading the text can see two sets of gathering of the elects. The first one, you know, when they're raptured to catch up with the Lord in the air and, and stay in the air to escape the tribulation. And the second one being when he comes back, he shortens the, uh, the tribulation for their sake. Why are they left behind? Uh, then you have to plug all the rest. They're left behind because they were not ready or they were sinning or, you know, why were they left behind? You know, they were his elect. He had elected them and now somehow they're left behind. Yeah. And that, that becomes the, the school of rapture that I, I, I came from, um, you know, used to teach, uh, you know, rapture theology from a standpoint of don't walk in sin, 
you know, just sanctify yourself because you may be left behind. And when you're left behind, life will be a lot harder for the believers who are left behind than those who have been taken up. So there are two reasons. First one, escape the pain, the suffering. And number mm-hmm. two, uh, you know, things will be a lot harder for you if you stay here. In other words, the pain will be. So sanctify yourself. That's the second reason. So escape the pain. Yeah. Therefore, you need to sanctify yourself. That's how it well, works to me. Tim, Tim LaHaye in, in, the, in the books that, uh, that they wrote um, around this whole theme, you know, the fictionalised books, yeah. uh, his premise was that, that these, these people that were left behind were, were, had, had sort of fallen away from the faith yeah. or had, uh, had been exposed to belief but um, had never taken that step of, of t- taking right. Jesus as Saviour yes. because they weren't quite sure. And, yeah. and so their, you know, their wives and, and friends and everybody else in the church is gone and now oh, all of a sudden yeah. they realise, oh, yeah. hang on, this was true and they are the next level. But yeah. they weren't truly believers beforehand. Yeah. So yeah. they don't see that as two elects, if you like. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely a plug-in then, isn't it? That's it's exactly really- right. When you read the Olivet <laughs> Discourse, it's all that. Mm. I mean, it could well be true, but it is not in the text. That's that's the thing. So you'll have to justify where does it come from uh, mm. and so on and so forth. And especially one will have to then have a certain theology of the elects, you know. Uh, you will have to think of election in some ways, is it in elects, elects in, you know, in a Calvinistic uh, way? So you have to mix your theology. Uh, is it the elects, as, you know, John Calvin would think about it, to say that there are people who are absolutely, like you're looking at your tulip, yeah, your five-point uh, Calvinism, uh, which is that, you know, there are the people who God has elected. No one comes to Christ unless it is by God's election. And so if they were elect, uh, why is it that they are left behind after this particular rapture where they elect by God, but God knew that the time wasn't there yet uh, for them to be picked up? So, you know, you left to sort of mix up all sorts of, you know, uh, the, the theology, theology of election. You know, mm-hmm. is it in the Armenian sense that no people actually respond to to Christ, uh, to the gospel, and those who have responded, those are the elects. You know, not that they were elected before, and then and then that's how uh, they were ended up giving their life to Christ. So that you know, you will have to have a certain theology of election uh, to be able to interpret this particular word. So we may look at that uh, if we have time. But well, it's far too many assumptions, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, you're logic. making assumptions that are not really founded on anything in particular, or just grasping at little wisps of information that aren't, aren't quite there. I think, though, to be fair to the people who are, who are committed to rapture theology, I'm going to sort of look at their response to these objections. Uh, we may look at it in our next, um, next on next Sunday, so you don't run away. But I think the the text that this is based on mostly is the text in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse fifteen to seventeen. So, which quickly we can we can um, we can read it real quickly. Uh, so verse 15 to verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until, uh, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the cloud 
to meet the Lord in the air. That's that's where you get it. Mm. That's where 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 it, it starts from. We shall meet the Lord in the air. Okay, in a cloud. Yes. You know, we shall meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord, or we will remain forever with the Lord. So the interpretation, rapture interpretation, describes this particular. We shall meet the Lord in the air. That's where where rapture uh, comes from, because we're going to catch up with it. I've I've got a question. So if we catch up in the air, and is that where we stay? Because it says we shall be forever with the Lord in the air. So we, it means we stay there forever in the air with the Lord. Does that mean that's heaven? Or is it, I mean, what happens then down here? No, no, you, you've got an, an extra set. You know, the Lord will come back and will destroy the Antichrist and it will set his kingdom. So his kingdom is down here, which means those who have been up in the air will have to come back. But the text say that they will shall remain forever with the Lord. Where? In the air? Or, no, no, it means we will come back down uh, when he, he, he destroyed the Antichrist. So you'll have to do some extra exegetical and hermeneutical exercise. Just for me, that little th- things stuck out. Oh, what, what does it mean? We stay in the, in, in the air with the Lord or it's going to come back here. But here, here is the way to analyze the text. Because when you read it, you can see right here that Apostle Paul is resounding that which the Lord had already said in Mark 13. This is not different from the Olivet Discourse, that the Lord will come at the sound of the trumpet with his angels, and he'll gather his elect, okay? He'll come from the cloud. And that's what Mark just said to us here in the Olivet Discourse. But I think the, the, the crunch point is this terminology, catch up with the Lord in the air, or we'll meet the Lord in the air. And so and that's where, where the issue is. So let's, let's look at... Uh, the terminology that is used there in Greek to meet the Lord in the air, uh, the word is apanthesis. Apanthesis. So we've got to work out. Maybe maybe the rapture theology is right, but that's, we need to do catching up with the Lord in the air. What's the terminology? Is it its meaning literally what we've just simply read there? Apanthesis is the um, the word that is used, the Greek word uh, in in the text. Now, in, in in Greek and the Greek literature, this particular word, apanthesis, means the going out of people to meet a returning dignitary to his city and to welcome him back into the city. Yeah. That's what apanthesis yeah. uh, means in the Greek literature. So, apanthesis, he is going out and welcoming this returning hero, uh, you know, to his right rightful place or rightful city, if you will. And so when you read First Thessalonians, you can see based on the exegetical analysis of just the word apanthesis, that yes, the elects are meeting the Lord upon his return. And so here the Lord is returning <clears throat> and, and the, the, the elect will be transformed and those who are dead in Christ rise up to meet him to welcome the Lord back. And so when the Lord is coming, he gathers his elect. That's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 13, verse 27. When you look at the Olivet Discourse, you get back there, and it says, And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the heavens. Not how he gathers them, and they welcome the Lord as he comes. So the use of the word apanthesis there fits really squarely well uh, with with the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Yeah, you know, I don't see no reason we we analyze you know the rapture uh, you know 
theology uh, reading to see the things that they've, you know, that has led them to this particular conclusion. But when you start with the word of Jesus and start with the assumption reasonably that the apostles were not just simply pulling out things of their own, they were echoing the words of the Lord. And so that's the classical view starts there. The Olivet Discourse is the basic fundamental text. And so whatever you want to plug into that text, it must agree with the Olivet Discourse. Otherwise, you're saying something else that the Lord didn't say. Or you're plugging into the text what is not there when you read the words of the Lord himself. So you can see Apanthesis fits really well with Mark chapter 13 verse 27, where the Lord himself gathers his elects and they go to meet him as the dignitary. Uh, they go to up and thesis the Lord. They meet him uh, as a returning king, right? He's a returning yeah. king. And then he destroys the man of lawlessness and he establishes his kingdom. And it fits really well that the elect would have still been here as the time of distress has happened and the Lord gathers them. Now, if you're going to take him like, hey, kind of approach, it means the Lord is coming to gather those people who didn't believe in him in the first place. They didn't take the message seriously. They'd stayed here. They didn't believe. The Bible says, also have a belief in him. Salvation is by faith in Christ, not by, oh, I regret I didn't believe him. Now the Lord is going to gather those. When would they have given their life to Christ? You'll have to plug it in that they become elected through tribulation. Where do you get all yeah. that? Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely and, true. And that's that's the thing with with, with the yeah. reading of this text. And I know this might sort of you know walk some people on the toes. Uh, it's uh, it's not meant to to to, to upset anyone. Uh, it's just meant to say I, I'm reading this text and I see no reason to read that into the text. You know, reading into the text what is not there. It's called eisegesis. Now, mm-hmm. reading out of the text what the text say. That's your exegesis, okay? You exegesis out of the text what the text say. So there are a bunch of reasons that can be given by those who read Rapture View, uh, and I want to be very fair to them. So we will come back in our first session. This is just an introductory note, but you can already see uh, where, I, where I've headed. So I have not, you know, I have not pulled out the punches. I have just simply, you know, established the view that I hold, which is the classical view, and and we can discuss uh, all the rest further. So, as for now, there'll be more text we can read when we come back, but this is for this first Sunday. Uh, I think that the two texts we've read uh, do not really give a good rise to the belief in the rapture view at this point, and, and then we will assess the rapture view uh, further on uh, on uh, upcoming uh, you know series. Yes, we'll have to see how how uh, how many you end up having to do, Samuel. Well, that's that's been fascinating. That's great, just as an introductory. So come back next week, and uh, and we uh, Samuel will be expanding more, going into more depth about uh, about this very subject. And uh, we look forward to meeting up with you all again next week on Life FM.